there's more and more people taking action every day. There's a lot of silver linings in all of the darkness that is climate change. And that's what I like to focus on. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future, an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast, alongside the brilliant Helen Hill. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Delaney Reynolds, a multi-award-winning author, explorer, advocate, and educator, who's been called one of the leading voices for the environment for her generation. By age 13, Delaney had published her third in a series of children's books about ecology in Florida. Since then, she's founded an NGO, The Sink or Swim Project, and its popular website, miamiseareides.com an educational and political advocacy organization focused on a variety of environmental topics, including climate change and sea level rise. Delaney is a graduate student in Miami, Florida, where she is enrolled in a dual law degree and PhD program at the University of Miami. In this conversation, we'll be talking about youth activism, sea level rise and climate change. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Delaney. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. So Delaney, growing up, you split your time between the cosmopolitan city of Miami and a 1,000 acre island with 40 solar powered homes in the Florida Keys called No Name Key. Can you speak a bit about your love of the environment and how that developed for you? Of course. So like you said, I grew up splitting my time between the very populated, very large city of Miami um, and a very small island in the Florida Keys. So No Name Key is vastly different from Miami and it's very special. It is in the middle of two wildlife refuges, so it's super protected. And like you mentioned, there's only 40 solar powered homes on it. So I grew up learning about sustainability and the benefit of solar power, both to us as a society as well as the environment. Um, And so I like to say that as I was growing up, my life was surrounded by water, whether it was here on the coast of Miami, spending time on the beaches or down in the Keys, exploring the different islands or being out on the boat. From a very young age, I just loved everything having to do with marine life and the ocean. And I knew that I wanted to study marine science in some capacity as I got older. I think I was seven years old when I first told my parents that I wanted to be a marine scientist and study at the University of Miami, which at the time at seven years old seems a little ridiculous to know what you want to do, but I'm very glad I stuck with it because (laughs) I've loved every step of the way and I love where I am now. That's quite incredible at seven to already have that foresight and already be shaping in your mind what you want to do. So I guess yeah. What bolstered that that self-determination to, to really have that path and, and take action on something you cared about so much? So I, I always knew that I loved the environment, that I loved animals and the habitats that they and we lived in. 
And it was actually in elementary school when I first kind of started to get involved in a sense. So in third grade, our class wrote a matriculation present book for our parents to give to them um, about the Big Bang Theory. And it was very simple. Each student wrote a paragraph about the Big Bang and then drew a cute little picture to go with it. Um, and as I was driving home with my parents in the back seat, I told them that I wanted to write a book of my own. Um, so they said, all right, go ahead, figure it out. We'll support you any way we can, uh, but we don't know how to do that. So that's on you. So I, I started to think about what I wanted to write about. And as a fourth grader, I decided that I wanted to write about the animals in No Name Keep because I loved it there. Um, and I loved the unique little animals that flooded the island. Um, so I, I used the same program that we used in my third grade class called blurb.com. And I just started to put together my thoughts on these animals, um, some scientific facts that I had found, researching them online, um, as well as pictures that I had drawn of each of them. And uh, between elementary school and um, middle school, I, I actually wrote three of those children's books all about different mammals, fish, birds, and that was how I learned about climate change. It was actually in researching for those books, learning about the animals, learning about the habitats that we lived in, and I started to read about this science that sea level rise existed and was going to impact the Keys. It was going to impact the state of Florida, the United States, the whole world, and I started to become very concerned about what I was reading. Um, and I decided that I wanted to keep looking into this because I hadn't learned about it in a classroom setting and the science was presenting itself as a bit scary. And I decided that I wanted to write my fourth book on climate change and sea level rise. So that's kind of what really launched me into learning more and reaching out to people in my community to learn about the science and how to communicate it, to learn how business owners and homeowners were being affected um, and how politicians at the time were doing anything to help solve the problem. And um, from there, I created the Sink or Swim project. I, I do find that absolutely fascinating because it's funny you said though about being seven and that being an early age to decide that because at that age that's what I thought I wanted to do be a marine biologist or train with animals in some way and I'm quite envious that you saw it through <laughs> I went a different route I really am. yeah one thing to ask about that is how you actually feel about living in this community in South Florida that is the place for ground zero for sea level rise um, and how, what kind of emotions that brings up for you and, and also how you bring that emotion into the books you write. Yeah, it's scary. Um, mm. So the, the interesting thing about it is that when I was little, flooding was never a concern. I went to the beach all the time, okay. never saw it. Uh, I've lived in the Keys part-time my whole life, never saw the flooding. Now, in the last six or seven years, it's a routine thing to see this flooding um, monthly, if not more than monthly, weekly. Um, scientists say that in Miami-Dade County, we get about six days per year of sunny day flooding. Um, I think that it's more, but that's what the conservative <laughs> science tells us. Um, but 
in by the time that I'm 30, in 2030, we could see 80 sunny day flooding days per year. So when there's no oh. rain, perfectly sunny day, beautiful day, the, you, you would think it'd be the best, best day to go to the beach, but the beach is flooded. So you can't enjoy it as you normally would. Um, and then by 2045, by the time I'm 45, scientists predict that we could see 380 flooding events per year, sometimes more than once a day during the two high tides. So it's getting worse. I've seen it with my own eyes and it's really scary. It's terrifying mm -hmm. to see this water impacting our daily lives. It's terrifying to see places like in Miami Beach having to spend millions of dollars, half a billion dollars um, wow. to try and install pumping systems to pump out that water, to raise their roads just so that people can access their homes and businesses. That's absurd to think about the fact that we have to alter our society just to fix what we are dealing with because we've caused it. Um, so it's it's horrendous to see, but I, I also do have some hope for the future. I try to be very optimistic, um, no matter how scary it may be on a given day. Um, and I try to focus on those positive things, the fact that we're seeing an increase in renewable energies being used and installed. I try to focus on the fact that there's more and more people taking action every day. Um, so there's, there's a lot of silver linings in all of the darkness that is climate change. And that's what I like to focus on. Yeah. Is there, do you find that generally within your community and your society that they're taking that mentality on as well of hope and all the, the more positive things of taking action or, or is it more the fear that's taken hold? No, I think that there's a lot of positivity here in South Florida. It's so Florida is a very interesting state in the fact that we are in our society considered a red state. So we're a Republican state. And um, in our political system, for some reason, Republicans tend to be more of climate deniers. But here in South Florida, we're a little bit more progressive. And because we're living with sea level rise every day, we're seeing it all the time and having to spend our own resources and money on the issue because our statewide leaders aren't doing enough to help us. Um, there's a lot of positivity around it. Um, or at least we try to be. It's, it's hard <laughs> to think about the state level and how our own political leaders that we are voting into office aren't doing anything to help us. And they're just kind of basically watching us begin to wash away, especially when we're such a big source of income for the rest of the state. But um, there, there's so many things happening down here in South Florida at the grassroots level, at the city level, the commissioner level. Um, pretty much every single city here in South Florida, in Miami-Dade County and Broward County is doing something to combat sea level rise. So to me, that's super encouraging. And I see more and more people getting involved every day and more and more youth getting involved every day. Mm -hmm. and up and speaking out and fighting for sea level rise and fighting for solutions and practically begging our politicians to get involved and to implement more and to put forth more funding because that's what we need. Um, so it does seem to be more of a positive direction down here. But if you go somewhere else in the state, maybe not so much. That's incredibly encouraging, though, to hear that there is so much activity and so much action and so many more people are getting involved. And so I guess 
in your eyes, what really needs to happen to really protect the future of Florida and to create a much better future where, you know, that the area isn't overcome by sea level rise? So first and foremost, we need to completely eliminate our use of fossil fuels. That's what's causing the whole climate change crisis. Our burning of fossil fuels, the emission of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We know for a fact, scientists agree that that's causing our planet to warm and that that in turn is causing glaciers to melt and that that in turn is causing seas to rise. So full stop, we need to eliminate that. And the way that we do that is through renewable energies, which luckily are decreasing in cost literally every day. They're becoming the cheaper option. And so they're better for our pocketbooks and they're better for our society. A great example of that is solar power. Um, so as I mentioned, I grew up part-time um, for most of my life in a solar-powered house. So I knew a lot about it. Um, and in any given month, my power bill was anywhere between seven and 15 American dollars, um, which is very <laughs> low. That is nothing for a power bill. Um, and so what's also cool is that within 20 years, the solar power system essentially pays for itself. You make that money back because any extra power that you've generated, you can sell back to the power company. Um, so after 20 years, after you've gained that money back that you paid to install that system, you actually start making a profit. So you, it's almost like your own little tiny business. Um, and what's really cool is that here in Florida, scientists predict that if we were to crack down, get really serious about solar, start to implement it all over the state, that by 2045, by the time I'm 45 years old, in the lifetime of most of your listeners, half of Florida's power needs, 50%, could come from the sun. That's an extremely realistic goal that we can achieve um, if we just put our minds to it and work together. And that would benefit our state and the planet tremendously. We would be a leader when it comes to climate change mitigation and solutions. And there's no reason that we shouldn't do that. We have the resources and the ability. It's just a matter of the state and our political leaders really taking the steps to achieve that. Um, so that is the number one thing that we have to do to address and ultimately solve the climate change crisis, because that will start to cut back. And if we could get to 100% renewable energy, <laughs> it would eliminate our fossil fuel burning and carbon dioxide emissions. Completely agree with you, Delaney. And I mean, that is the most important issue and the most important solution that needs to be focused on throughout this whole thing. And I guess... You were a pivotal force in enacting a historic law that set South Miami on the path to leading Florida to become the solar state. Can you speak a bit about how you helped to spearhead this change and what you learnt through that process in terms of making these bigger systemic changes? Of course. So a few years ago, I learned about some solar power mandate laws in California. Um, so there's three different cities there, including San Francisco, which is one of their biggest cities, that all have solar mandates. It requires any buildings to install solar power. Um, and I thought that that was a really awesome idea and something that we could totally do and should do here in what is known as the sunshine state of Florida. So I, I wrote a letter to about a dozen mayors asking if they would be interested in writing a similar law and implementing it in their own cities. 
And the mayor of South Miami, Philip Stoddard, was the first to respond, and he was very enthusiastic about the idea. <laughs> he absolutely loved it. Um, but he had one condition, and that was that I, at the age of 15, help him write the law. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> so, of course, I have no experience writing the law. I barely know anything about it other than how to stay out of trouble. Um, <laughs> but he and I worked together. Um, we met many times, spent hours looking through the California laws, rewriting them to fit all of the codes in South Miami. And about a year later, we had our first draft. So I presented it to the commission there. Um, and it passed unanimously. After a couple more readings, it passed. And in 2017, it made the city of South Miami the very first city in the state of Florida and Florida the second state in the United States to have a solar power law. So what the law means and says is that any new construction of a home or material renovation over 75% of an existing home has to install the maximum amount of solar power possible on its roof. Um, now, South Miami is a super small city. It doesn't make that much of an impact, but it's more the principle. If we were to get cities just like South Miami all over the state of Florida to create similar laws, we could reach that goal of 50% of our power coming from solar by 2045 very easily. Um, and I've had a lot of other states reach or cities reach out to me to try to accomplish something similar. I've worked with St. Petersburg, Orlando. I've even had places in Canada reach out to me about it to try to do something similar, learn about it, which I think is so cool. Um, so, you know, it's it's something that really just kind of took a life of its own, took off under Mayor Stoddard and I and came to fruition. Um, and I think the biggest lesson that I learned from it is that anyone of any age, even if they don't yet have a vote in their political system, can make an impact and can have a voice in politics, that you can work with your local politicians, you can create the solutions that you need to help solve our climate change crisis. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you have a significant position um, as long as you speak out, you voice your ideas, and you get involved. That's incredible. <laughs> it really does show the power of the youth and what they can do, to be honest. And I think that's a really inspiring tale for the, you know, the, the youth of today that are following you now, that they can absolutely make themselves heard and take action in that way. So uh, speaking of the youth, here at Be The Future, we wholeheartedly believe in the power of education. I am an educator myself and I spent my working life in the education system. And we believe it really can create a climate conscious society. So you spent a lot of time in classrooms as part of your work on the Sink or Swim project. What most surprised you about the power of education to shift our society? So I think what surprised me the most is just how powerful education is. When I've spoken to climate deniers, the most common thing that I've seen is that they're very simply just misinformed or they're getting their information from inappropriate sources mm. that yeah. don't do the proper background research, um, that don't cite scientists or it's just an opinion. Um, so what I've seen through my work is that once I start to teach specifically kids about science from 
the Union of Concerned Scientists, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from NASA, that they understand it almost immediately. And it's not like I'm dumbing down this science. I'm giving it to them exactly as these organizations do. I'm showing them the graphs. I'm explaining how carbon dioxide is increasing, how our population is increasing, all of that stuff. And they're understanding it, no matter how difficult it may be. And they're able to make the connection between all of these different things that are happening and see how it all relates back to our very simple use of fossil fuels. Um, so to me, I think it's been really cool and encouraging to see how powerful education is, especially in the youth generations. Um, because as soon as they start to learn the science and see what's actually happening, they immediately wanna get involved. After I do presentations, I will typically have a Q&A session. Um, and what's really cool is that most of the time, kids have better and more thoughtful questions than a lot of the adults that I talk <laughs> yes, to. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's mostly about solutions. It's mostly about how they can get involved, what they can do right then and there in their school, in their home, in their community. And so yes. it's really cool to see how just a simple 15, 20, half an hour minute presentation about the science of climate change, about what we're seeing and experiencing can just like a switch cause someone to want to try and act. So I think that is one of the coolest things about the power of education. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that in, with, with students I've had in the past where, you know, we've talked about things like even situations in North Korea and stuff and straight away they just went, but what can we do? What can we do to help this situation? Right. And it's fantastic, I love it. But, um, Obviously, it's quite an overwhelming thing to to be faced with. So what would you say to a bright, ambitious young person who wants to take on a problem in the world, but feels overwhelmed and has no idea where to start? I would say, first and foremost, go for it. Whatever the problem yeah. is, try not to feel overwhelmed. I know that's easier said than done, but start with a little background research. Like we were just saying, education is super important. So get those credible sources, learn all about the topic that you're interested in, and then figure out how you can get involved, whether it's through your school, whether it's through a nonprofit organization, or even directly reaching out to political leaders and working alongside them. Like I said before, you have a voice. If you have a passion, pursue it because you absolutely can make a difference in whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be climate change. It can be absolutely anything that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, um, but you can make a difference. It's simply starting. That's the hardest part, getting started. But once you do that, once you start to reach out to people, once you start to try to find a community and network, you can just start Googling things. Um, <laughs> one way that I got involved when I was first starting out is I just Googled Miami Sea Level Rise organizations. And I found a bunch of nonprofits. I found the names of a bunch of scientists who have been studying it. And I started to interview them. And as I started to interview them, people started to learn my name. And then I started to craft my PowerPoints. And I started to reach out to professors to try to give lectures in their classrooms. And the more that I did that, I stopped reaching out. And people were reaching out to me to come into the classroom and to talk to them. Um, so it's just starting 
reaching out to people, learning about it, and then keeping up with it. Don't stop. The harder you work, the more you work, the more you're going to gain out of it, the more you're going to be able to educate people, and the bigger platforms people are going to give you to spread your message, to continue to educate people. Um, so my suggestions are do research, find ways to get involved, and don't stop, no matter how discouraging something might seem. <laughs> Delaney, I love your tenacity and just your determination. And you can just see how it's woven through, you know, your entire childhood and where you are right now with everything you've been doing. So I guess something I would love to know is what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? Wow. Um, <laughs> you Big know, question. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that I've really thought about too much. I think, you know, my goal with all of this is to just educate as many people as possible of all ages, but specifically the youth generation about climate change and what we're experiencing, um, and to work with as many people as possible to implement solutions. I don't really care how we get there as long as we get to the point that renewable energies are being used more than fossil fuels. Um, and I hope that that is a global transition that we make for our society, not just here in South Florida or the state of Florida. So, you know, I, I, I think my legacy hopefully will be one of education and one of advocacy. And hopefully I will inspire other youth to get involved. You know, I think that's a huge part of what I do, just working with them to try to find their voices and see that a kid can get involved. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, you can make a difference in politics. You can make a difference in science. You can make a difference in your community, in your own home, in your school. Um, so I, I kind of hope that that's my legacy, that other people will be inspired to do things just like I'm doing, because I'm not special by any means. I'm, I'm just a 22-year-old kid um, who's been working really hard on climate change. Um, so anyone can do what I do. I, I really like to stay hopeful about the future. I know that climate change can be a dark and gloomy topic, but I see a lot of brightness, especially when it comes to the youth generation. You know, we see kids pre-pandemic standing up, millions of kids all over the world fighting and striking for their futures, demanding politicians do something about climate change. And I think that the youth generation is really going to be the one to solve climate change. I think it's the biggest issue that we're ever going to face and how we go about solving it will define our time on this planet. But it really encourages me because I think that as soon as we can replace those who are in positions of power, who are deniers and aren't doing what we need to to protect our environment, as soon as we can replace them, we will. And that's when we'll really start seeing changes. So youth generation, mm -hmm. keep it up. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you can just see this rising up for change. You really can. And it's incredibly inspiring what the youth are doing and, you know, the, the movement that that is, has already become and is continuing to be. So, um, and, and I guess, you know, Helen and I really feel like there's such a need for maintaining that hope and that optimism and really maintaining that that whole idea of what is possible and what the future could be and trying not to get too caught up in you know the doom and gloom of, of a lot of the things that are going on but really the potential for what could be if and when we make the changes necessary to create a much better future for everyone on this planet. Absolutely I think it's imperative to stay optimistic.
thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you. If it did, please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. Oh, and check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our guest. And come say hi to us on Instagram over at bethefuture.earth, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act, and thrive.